This is the Clickomo Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Today is Sunday, July the 24th, 2022. Today's message from Pastor Scott Gordon is a continuation of his healthy habits regarding service with part five of his series in In Shape. And now we send it over to Pastor Scott. Turn to Ephesians 2. In your Bibles, as we get ready to get started, we'll be there for part of it. We'll be all over the place a little bit this morning, as has been our habit as we continue our study in healthy habits for our spiritual life and our spiritual strength. We continue the focus on being in shape or being shaped for ministry and service. One thousand. Think about that number. The number is 1,000. If that's not enough, think about 1,000 again. And then in case you've missed 1,000, that's an important number right here. How many times, how many steps did it take Thomas Edison to successfully put all the components together to achieve the creation, if you will, of the light bulb? The answer is 1,000 steps. 1,000 steps. Someone asked him, he says, what's it like to fail so many times? And he is reported as having said, and I don't know which one is the, the more accurate, it's either um, I either learned 999 ways to not make a light bulb or it was just a thousand steps that it took me to get to where I needed to be. It took me that many steps. I want us to have that mindset in our spiritual lives, in discovering our spiritual shape. As we have talked about spiritual gifts today, we're going to move further down the road and and finish out the discussion of our, our shape of each one of us personally in our lives and God has put us together in a specific way for his glory for the purpose for us to serve others to serve together and we all are different in so many unique and very special ways as we think about being shaped for service and so we've did And you're going, man, that seemed rushed, and and it feels the same way to me as we have talked about spiritual gifts. Because there's so much to the components of the the motivational gifts that kind of energize us, is the word I'm looking for, energize us for ministry and service. And then we see the results of those manifestations of God at work and the work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives as individuals and our life together as His church. And so spiritual gifts to me are foundational. And so continue if you're going, I still haven't gotten where I'm comfortable in in understanding exactly what spiritual gifts or gift I have and, and all that. Every one of us has at least one. Here it is. Try it a thousand times. 
Go down this road and that road and these others. Be looking, not so much necessarily asking others, but listen to what others say to you in the context of your life spiritually. And say, okay, maybe God is this done in my life and and, and put me together this way with the gifts that he has given me. And then today we're going to round out the H-A-P-E, the rest of shape. So strap on your seatbelts and let's go for a ride as we continue down that road of shape. The next letter in the acrostic is heart. The question is, what are you passionate about? And for the English majors in the uh, audience, it is about what are you passionate, I understand. It just sounds so weird when you write it like that. So I'm just going to write like I talk. So often it is you know, a butchering of formal English, but it is what it is. What are you passionate about? What really motivates you? What really gets you enthusiastic in in these ways? Because we read in Proverbs 27, 19, as water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the person. So you've looked into a, a fairly still uh, pond or, or section of the lake and on a good bright day you can see your reflection there in the same way your heart reflects who you are is an aspect and, and we need not neglect that we need not dismiss that because some have maybe overdeveloped that and overprioritized, and in, in getting out of balance in any one of these areas, we run into a danger. But we would run into a danger equally if we just ran on past it. Because we go, man, we don't want to get so into the enthusiasm of the heart because we got to have our minds focused first. We've got to get our will in place in that aspect of understanding truth and, you know, all of the logistics that are there. By the way, that says something about your personality, but we'll get there in a minute. It says something about my personality, too, because that's the way I'm geared. Let's all put it together. It's all got to fit. And let's not worry about how you feel about it. Okay? But God gave us the feelings that we have as part of who we are. And so what does grab your attention? Something that you often just can't stop talking about. Are you maybe, and here's a list, are you maybe an avid reader? That's your thing. I mean, give me a book or this, and the next time you meet somebody, you know, whether it's in the family or it's your friends and stuff, you go, have you read this book yet? You know, Logan's done that to me more than once. He gave me the greatest, one of the greatest books I've read in the last year. It's a book called Faster. And it was a fantastic book about a Jewish-born Frenchman who raced in the early days of the Grand Prix. And this little no-name team beat the Nazi Germany powerhouse in one of the Grand Prix races where they were not expected to do. I mean, they were the dominant. That was just the way it is. The entire force of the, the German financing of, and government was behind this race team. And they were just, you know, unstoppable. But it's just a, a wonderful book. Maybe you're, you're an avid reader. Maybe it's, it's music. It's either you hear the song and you go, oh, man, I know who this, da-da-da-da-da. 
or you just are, are very in, in, enthused about you know, being able to play and you like to sing or these different things, or maybe it's art. Being able to create different things and show an aesthetic beauty that is in there. Maybe it's in, in building or fixing things. You just get into a project and, man, that's, that's where you're just rolling and going. It's the greatest thing ever. Maybe you're more energized by relationships and people and developing those aspects of your life. Or maybe it's in teaching or in learning. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. But think about those aspects of your life, those interests that you have. Where is your heart in the aspects of the things you enjoy in life? And don't let that be discounted in an area where God may call you to minister through something like that. That's why I mentioned at the end of the last service that there are a lot of aspects of our life in our heart that we are not going to have a category for as an organized church ministry. You know, we, we may not have a, 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 an art class or a reading group or, you know, a systematic theology class or whatever the case may be or these kinds of things. But in, the, con, in, in the, the, the way we live each and every day through those conversations we have with others, it will open up doors for relationships and connections and ministry in the way that we can help serve others. You see, our heart is an important and necessary component of our worship or our service or our ministry. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, Samuel replies in the context in which he's having this conversation, he says, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all of this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord, how? With all your heart. With all of your heart. I know sometimes we get uncomfortable. We think about a worship service. You start raising your hands. You start crying. And it's like, uh-oh, watch out for them. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm so very thankful for that component of our worship service and the different focus that is, you know, foci <laughs> that are brought, focuses that are, are brought to us each week. And it just struck me this morning how personal our relationship is. Even as we're gathered together, our relationship with God is personal. He is my Father. He is my Lord, my Savior. And in that aspect of, of our heart, then that opens us up for opportunities across the board. Maybe more than we could ever imagine in fact, if we were to look elsewhere in Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Not, you know, we would think from your mind, from what? But do God's will from your heart. And so there's a motiva motivation that is duty alongside of desire. And that is our heart coming to play in how God has shaped us. Next we find in the acrostic, the A is abilities. Our abilities. What do you do well? What do you find fulfillment in doing? A job well done. That even if nobody else says, hey, good job, you're going, man, that was awesome. You know, that aspect of, of our lives. In fact, we find this going all the way back to the Old Testament that there weren't just 
very what we would call spiritual abilities that were needed that God honored or that God was involved in in the life of his people, even in the Old Testament. We start talking about things like the tabernacle and the temple. We read things like this in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. We find this. Says, you also have many workers. And listen to who these workers are. Stonecutters, masons, carpenters, people skilled in every kind of work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Beyond number. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. See, that's that that list of the needs of the moment and the needs of God's people. And there is everything from definite spiritual needs that are a part of our lives and abilities to connect in and, and equipping us in this way. And then there's just the abilities that we have that are talents that we would find and enjoy. Such that here's a, another short list of these. Uh, maybe you just enjoy entertaining by entertaining, I'm not saying necessarily coming up and doing a song and dance show. But by entertaining, entertaining hosting people at your house. That, that concept of hospitality, that, that welcoming and inviting people in. Maybe you enjoy creating a team, helping to organize people for a function. And you have that uh, ability that just says, hey, here's a need. And would you come and would you come and would you come? And in no time flat, you've got a team ready to uh, kind of face the task at hand. Maybe you have a, an ability in researching, finding the information that's necessary for the group, for the moment, for your life. You, you know, you're going through and uh, one thing that, YouTube has done wonders for, for even those of us who are less than handy. I have learned how to fix certain things that I would never even dare to try if I were on my own. But the YouTube video that says, here's how you fix your dryer has been a great help. Maybe you're the kind of researcher who find those resources. Maybe your ability is in helping, that, that uh, ability to counsel somebody come alongside and to help and be an encourager in that conversation. Or maybe your, your aspect of helping is in just the, the physical needs of the moment, setting up a room, doing those different kinds of things that get the group ready. In fact, we had that opportunity, uh, I did with a group from Northland Christian Schools before it ended. My group of guys, freshmen uh, there, teamed up all three of our groups in our community group after chapel. We had a service day, and we went down to City Union Mission. And what did we do? We did a lot of cleaning. We did a lot of organizing, restructuring, helping and set up and getting the facilities ready for the ministry group that was getting ready to come in and provide a service. All of it's necessary. And none of it should be discounted. Maybe you're good, unlike me, with math or numbers. One, two, three, four, and, and you know, just counting Stuff and being able to put all of that together, and you can work in those, and you just enjoy that kind of thing. You know, some people do. Uh, then there's me. But anyway, maybe singing is an ability, and you just enjoy singing. You could be by yourself in the car driving down the road, you could be in a group of people, whatever it is, and that's just an ability that you have. And people go, Man, I appreciate it. I love listening to you sing. All of these kinds of things. Again, not an exhaustive list. But think about this. Anything and everything we do is an opportunity to glorify God and to serve somebody else. 
Paul writing to a group of Christians in the letter of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 17, says this, and whatever you do, that's a pretty big category, whatever you do, and not whatever, like whatever, but like in everything you do, in word or in deed, that again covers a lot of ground, do what everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we do those things and we give thanks to God, people will notice. They may not understand it. It may cause them even to ask a question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you help people like this? Why do you enjoy doing this? Why do you enjoy doing this? I thank God that he has given me the privilege to enjoy this, to do this, to be good at this, to do different things. And, and we often think, I'm not good at anything. I think you're selling yourself short. We all have certain abilities. We may not have the same abilities as others. Or we may not even have the ability we think we would want. But I'm here to tell you, God has given us the abilities that we need that can help people in just the time. If we will focus on and think not beyond or, or think beyond just the, the limited scope we often bring to ministry and say, you mean I can use this to serve others? And to be a minister through our church and for the kingdom of God? And the answer is yes, through our abilities. Next in shape is our personality. Our personality. Hey, the way we are wired, it may not be changed, but it can be redeemed for Christ-honoring purposes. Now, the way we're wired is our personality. The way, and we'll get to some aspects of what are we thinking about when we talk about personality. And just like the spiritual gifts inventories that can be helpful, I'm not going to necessarily use those, but you know, we're maybe aware of Myers-Briggs and other personality inventories or the five temperaments or four temperaments actually, and, and all of these different things and, and think, okay, well, I'm not gonna get that sophisticated. Now you can if you want to, that's fine. But I wanna give us just some general broad scope categories to think about. But a lot of times we think how we are wired is wrong or our attitudes about some things are wrong. And it may not be the way that we're wired that's a problem, but the way that we use our personality. Maybe it's selfish. Maybe we use it in a judgmental way. But it's not the fact that we have a conviction, that we have a dedicated perspective, but it's how we carry it out, how we live it out. Listen to this. Here's Paul's own testimony of who he was before he met Christ. For you have heard, Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely, hold on to that word, intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous. Hold on to that word or that phrase on the traditions or for the traditions of my ancestors. So that's who Paul is. There's that intensity, that extreme zealousness. And then we flip over to Romans chapter 9. Listen to these words, beginning in verse 1 of Romans chapter 9. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have, and here it is, Great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ 
for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. You, you hear that intensity? That extreme zealousness where Paul was a persecutor. He was misguided in his focus. When God saved him, he didn't change Paul's intensity. It was just redirected for the glory of God. In those areas where our personality is, is not moral, immoral. I mean, there's, there's an idea of, well, I, I feel like this and that. And when it contradicts scripture, that's a whole other story. I'm not saying that. But there are components of our personality that, that can be transformed and don't have to be eradicated. And that level of zealousness, that, that level of intensity, moving from persecution in a misguided and an ungodly emphasis can be turned around to say, that level of zealous intensity I have for those people who are close to me, those who would be my brothers and sisters according to the flesh. Paul is saying here that those who are Jewish who are not getting that Jesus is the Messiah, I have such a great sorrow and an intense agony in my spirit that it is my desire that if I could be cut off from Christ so that they could come to know him as Savior and Lord, I would that it would be so. That's intense. There's no correction here that says, Paul, what are you thinking? That's extreme. Stop it. Just settle down. That's not the case. Now, it's not possible. God doesn't have to unsave Paul to save somebody else. But the heart that he has for somebody to be saved is intense. Same could be said, somebody who understood that level of working with personality, Paul did. And I don't have time to get into how he handled Timothy. But read First and Second Timothy, not as, how can I understand how the church should be put together? Because that is the instruction often that Paul is giving to this young pastor. But listen to how Paul talks to Timothy. To understand, here's Paul that's ah, like this. Let's go get him. And there's Timothy over here who's a young guy going, are you sure? I mean, I know this, but you get the sense that Paul's dealing with somebody who would go, I'm not sure I can say that. And he says, hey, don't let anybody look down on your youth, but be an example. Hey, hey, don't neglect the gift that was given to you, but stir it up. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Now, here's this aspect of personality. When we start thinking about it, I want us to look at four questions that kind of get four broad scope categories to think about what is my personality like and how am I basically wired. So when we ask these questions, I'm going to give two broad responses. And I, I grant you that they are broad scope generalizations. But think about whenever you hear this question, these two categories, which do you most often fit in? First question, how do I interact with other people? Is it outgoing? or reserved? This is the old introvert, extrovert question. The outgoing person is social and is energized by people. I mean, I am not truly, wow, ready to go unless I am in a crowd full of people. And already I can give mine away, so that sounds exhausting. But anyway, the last to leave a party I have many, many relationships just as a general understanding. Reserved would be the category that, you know, God loves these people. IR1, introverted. 
can be kind of drained by people in that respect of, hey, I, I will give, but after serving in that way, you may feel like, oh, you know, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't feel like, man, after I've done this, that I, I feel like just giving up and quitting. One of my pastor heroes from, from the past, Charles Spurgeon, you would think is probably somewhat extroverted, but he had one classic characteristic of somebody who is more reserved that every Monday after he had preached on Sunday and the church was huge and he preached many times a day, but Monday morning he would get up and he would go into the bathroom to get started and his wife would have to often come in and get it, coax him to come out because he just didn't want to go or do anything. He was exhausted. He was, I'm just, I'm done. I'm, I, I'm ready to quit. Many, many times in, in reading his biographies, that's the story of his life. You know, somebody reserves not bothered by being alone. I've made the joke in recent weeks that this quarantine thing was no problem for us introverts. We've been training for that all our lives. Somebody reserved will have a more limited number of relationships than somebody more outgoing. But this is not a right or wrong. It is who are you? And God uses us all. You say, Scott, I, I don't see where you're introverted you've not seen me in a situation where i'm not normally used to functioning you send me to a conference and i'm by myself and i don't know anybody in the room i will stand against the wall or sit in my seat and just kind of look around other people going to that same conference and walking into the room will introduce themselves to anybody and everybody in the room it's just a difference in in personalities but God uses us all. Here's another one. How do I make decisions? And are you more fact or feeling driven? Facts. You know, likes and trust the fact. Give, you know, the, the Joe Friday. Now I'm dating myself a little bit. The show was before my time, but I grew up with it. Dragnet. Joe Friday, the detective. Anybody remember what was his line? Huh? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. That kind of personality. Appreciate past experiences. We can learn from those past experiences. Those are facts. Those are things that have very practical in focus. Someone more feeling driven could, could be described as a dreamer having their head in the clouds. Futuristic thinking rather than looking to past experiences. Someone who maybe loves to, to speculate or go on hunches. Let's just roll with it. Let's just go. Let's see what happens. Oh, that just makes me nervous. I'm a facts guy, okay? Not only am I an introvert, I'm a facts guy. I'm the put it all together like I mentioned earlier. Logic is the, there's a way it should be in this. And then we'll introduce feelings as they're necessary. You know, others are like, hey, let's just go with it and stuff like this. And then we'll put together what facts we need to facilitate getting whatever else it's just differences in our personalities how do i deal with relationships the third question is it dependent or independent by de dependent i mean someone who who needs people who has high expectations of others in fact uh, i've been recently and, and if you haven't uh, seen on espn there's a, a great new series called the captain about the life of Derek jeter the captain, New York Yankees, the good guys. Anyway, 
but we're, they're like two episodes into about a seven episode or eight episode series. And in this second one, he starts talking about loyalty and expectations. And he says, you know, loyalty in one way in only one direction is just insanity. He says, I'll be loyal all day long, but I have an expectation of receiving that loyalty in return. Here we are, somebody in that dependent. He, he even sits there and says, man, I love it when the crowds are there. I, 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 I perform better. I, I love being in front of a crowd. I'm you know, that aspect, dependent there, high expectation, needs others to bring validation. Tell me, I'm doing right, independent on the other we, we could say doesn't need others, that doesn't sound right, but is not dependent on other people for fulfillment in that. The rely on self to get through tough times and then are often, instead of needing others to bring validation, self-validation. And that dependent and independent spirit, if we will, that's how we often talk about that, is important for our dynamics together and our life together. How do I deal with relationships it's not necessarily right or wrong unless we use it as an excuse not to do what's right. None of these are an excuse to not do what, what is right. It's just how do we normally react. In some aspects, we have to adjust. And then in that others, we need to appreciate. There are some who hear about something, and they're ready to go and run in. And the thing is, they didn't check out the dangers that are there before they go. And the other person rated it. You see, we need each other to help bring that balance in and to fulfill our calling together, to benefit each other. Where we have blind spots, others can see them and be a help to us. Finally, how do I handle my time? Is it determined or spontaneous? <laughs> to quote an old song favorite of mine, I am determined. But anyway, um, organized, determined, organized, plan ahead, give me deadlines. These are, you know, structure is good. Spontaneous, eh, adapt as you go, spur of the moment. And rather than deadlines with a period, it's deadlines with a question mark. What deadlines? What do you mean, deadlines? And so those components, I know that's a brief and, and maybe a, a rushed, but think through those categories, those four basic questions. You know, how, how do I deal with all of those aspects? And we need each other to help bring a, a, a balance to our lives and, and to learn to be perfected where we are in need of correction and to be encouraged where we are maybe too hesitant to think, yeah, this is the way I should go. This is, this is okay. I, I'm good to go. I'm ready to go. Then finally, E is experiences. Now, it's, it's been said that God doesn't waste an experience. In fact, he, he has a plan for it all, through it all, to quote Andre Crouch. <clears throat> God is with us through it all. One verse that brings this to a very razor, laser focus is this, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It's a true statement. It is a biblical statement of fact. And a wonderful example that was a testimony to this. Before Paul wrote Romans 8, wrote that letter to Rome, 
we have Joseph living this out in Genesis chapter 15, verse 20. Actually, his life, but he comes to this moment of sharing this truth way back in the Old Testament. He says it like this to his brothers. who You know what they did to him, remember? They didn't like him. I mean, he was the favorite son. I mean, he was annoying. He was to be gotten rid of. They wanted a number of them to kill him. That's helpful. Lovely brothers. One finally stood up and says, you know, that might not be a good idea. Let's just throw him in a pit. That, not that that's better, but it's better than dying in that aspect. So they do that, and they said, okay, now we've got to figure it out. And a caravan just happens to be going by. God's plan. Just happens to be going by. They said, hey, here's what we do. We'll sell him off. We will then coat his uh, garments with what? We'll take him back to dad and say, he died. Don't know where he is and all of this. All of that, long story short, he gets to Egypt. Joseph uh, ascends in through ranks of responsibility from having been in prison all the way through, I mean, back and forth. I mean, just all of this. And he is the one who helps prepare for the famine in advance. His brothers come. He helps them. Then they come back, find out who he is, and then they are immediately afraid. We are dead men because of what we have said and done and thought and everything. And here's what Joseph says to them. You planned evil against me. You planned Catch that word. You planned. It was intentional. You planned evil against me. God planned. Same word. Same circumstance. God planned it for good. To bring about the present result. The survival of many people. It's a beautiful picture. Of trusting in the sovereign purpose of God. That experience. We still look back at today to encourage us that God is at work in everything that we experience for his glory and our good. You know, God works all things together for the good of those that love him. doesn't necessarily mean the good as we would define it, but the good as God defines it for our benefit, that we would grow in faith and faithfulness, every aspect of that. Here's one major part. I want to just kind of focus in here for this one major part of the, the the plan of God specific to our hard times we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 7 is the big context verse 4 says this he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God God doesn't waste an experience even the hard ones that, if we're honest, we would never choose. But God bringing us through can use us to help others who are entering into that force that we have just exited in our life to encourage them, God is still there. God will never leave you, never forsake you. He told uh, Joshua that. He mentioned that to his disciples in the Great Commission. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. A beautiful picture of the comfort that we can give. All of our experiences serve a purpose. And in all of these things, from our spiritual gifts to our experience, in that entire shape, God has created us. And you're going, we finally get to Ephesians 2. And we do. Right on the heels of two great verses, 8 and 9. We find verse 10. Verse 10 reads like this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The beautiful summary of this is we are perfectly shaped for the ministry to which God calls us. So much so that we are his workmanship, poiema in the Greek. Not that that is a word that we would normally use or that goes, oh, wow, that means this. Big deal. That is most often in the Greek culture used for the word masterpiece. We are his high creation, a masterpiece. And do you notice that it says that we are his masterpiece, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God is the one who did this. God is the one who shapes us. God is the one who made us who we are. Why? For good works. Not in order to earn anything from God, but because we have been saved by God and enabled by God to bring glory to God. We are created for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The very good works that lay before us. The good works that you can look at in your life and we can look at in our life together are indicative of the truth of this verse. And the fact that there are more to come is the very fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet. There are more good works for us to do, us individually, us as a church, in all things for the glory of God, the furthering of his kingdom. So in all these things, we think about our shape. We might be tempted, like the example that Paul uses in Romans 9, to be the piece of clay that's formed into a pot that says to the potter, why have you made me like this? <laughs> why? But we must recognize in the same way that Paul was encouraged and was seeking to share encouragement, God has a specific design, as a potter does when he creates a vessel. For any and all purposes, for the glory of his name, he makes us exactly how he wants us. And to put it the way I've heard it in the past, God doesn't make any junk. He makes, Ephesians 2, verse 10, masterpieces. We may not always feel like it, but the confession of the word of God over your life and mine is that we are. And that we bring glory. Is it a blessing to us? Yes. But equally, if not more importantly, it is for the glory of his name and the furthering of his kingdom. And that again is another blessing. So there we go.